Welcome to the Youth Ministry in Motion Podcast. The number one youth ministry podcast on the planet. The show that keeps you motivated and your youth ministry moving forward. Now, here's your host, author, speaker, and trainer, Paul Turner. What's going on, youth workers, my fellow tribe? You know, uh, we are in such difficult times these days. I mean, if you haven't looked out your window lately, uh, the world is on fire. And for those of you in cities uh, that are seeing protests, you are literally seeing your world on fire. And it is uh, it elicits hopelessness, fear. Uh, it it, uh, it drives possibly you to question just like everything you're doing about youth ministry. And so that's why I brought my friend Danielle Blevins uh, onto the show today. You know, she's an attorney and an advisor to the federal, federal government. She graduated summa cum laude in, uh, with a BA in communications and broadcast news from the University of Alabama. In 2012, Danielle graduated from the highly ranked University of Alabama School of Law with her uh, Juris Doctorate. She is a collaborator with the nonprofit I Am a Reconciler, and all of the links uh, to connect with her and with, to connect with her nonprofit will be in the show notes. But more than that, she is a former student of mine and a woman of color. We've had many conversations over the years, her and I, about politics, faith, life, how to live your life on social media, things you say or how you should say it. And I asked her to be on the show because she knows a thing or two about youth ministry. You know, she was one of my leaders and she knows a thing or two about race and about justice. And today we want to talk to you about how to raise up a Micah 6-8 generation. So let's go ahead and join the conversation. Welcome Danielle Blevins to the show. Thank you, Paul. So glad to be here. I'm glad that you are here because there's really uh, nobody else that I'm going to trust in this conversation. Uh, it's so critical that we get the conversation right. And, and of course, we've been friends for many years now. Uh, we've had discussions on Facebook about how we post, what we say. We, <laughs> both instructional. We're <laughs> towards one another uh, uh, of what we do and what we say because we're trying to first and foremost represent Jesus in all things. Uh, we're always trying to do that. We're always trying to put Jesus at the top. But we also have to recognize that, look, that Jesus has the answer, but there's work that must be done. There's right. kingdom work that must be done. Uh, you know, when we talk about, you know, George Floyd, or we talk about Ahmaud Arbery, and that's why I have you on here, Danielle, is to help me, uh, uh, you know, clearly, uh, I'm a middle-aged white man who knows uh, zero, okay? And so you're here to help me and help other youth workers that are listening and watching, um, to understand the world that we're living in. And we talked about pre-show here, we talked about the fact that youth ministries can, cannot be reactionary. Uh, it can't be, oh my goodness, you know, here's another thing. It, it can't be just a bunch of talking points to get back to whatever is normal or, 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 or to, to do those things. It has to be part of the DNA. It has to be part of the, the fabric of the culture um, of how one responds when these things happen. Uh, I'm grateful, uh, at least in the last youth ministry I served, and I, I don't, you'd have to, you'd have to refresh my memory uh, as to whether I did anything like this within, within the youth ministry that I served where you were there. But I made sure that when something happened in the news, something like this, I don't care if it was a natural disaster or if it was a massive injustice 
you know, I tried to make sure that we stopped regular programming to make sure we focused on something that was going to be real here. It wasn't like, hey, we just need to get on with the program. It's like, hello, stop. Everybody, let's stop and let's focus and dial in to what's happening here. Um, and youth workers need to do a better job of not getting on with the program. So, and, and that's why, you know, I have you here today is because I want you to, because you have youth ministry experience, uh, you're an attorney, you're uh, a fabulous young lady, and you're, you're a, a person of color. <laughs> it's that you have a wealth of wisdom to teach me. This is teaching me first. This is, this is me first, youth workers that are listening. You get the benefit of my education right now. Okay, this is, the, this is the deal. They get to listen in on you teach me on how to be better at recognizing and responding to injustices in our world. Let's go ahead and start with just the basic question. And I think it starts, always starts with leadership, right? Uh, everything uh, lands on the youth pastor's desk. It's, they are the leaders. So I, and once again, feel free to, to, to have any opening comments. I know you're a lawyer, so you can have, you know, uh, if you would like any opening, uh, opening remarks, as they okay. say, you can feel free to do that before answering the question. Uh, so, and so my question will be is youth, what pastors, youth pastors do internally to create more empathetic behavior, more empathetic believers, you know, what should youth pastors do individually to be the example to students of what justice and racial equality look like? So I think I'm going to go ahead and just answer the question and without kind of no, no opening statements <laughs> okay. um, prepared on that. But sure. I will say this as someone, like you said, someone who was involved in youth ministry, who was a part of youth min multiple youth ministries yep. and even helped mentor after I was in college in, in, in law school, what that really meant coming back and showing up, knowing the kids, what that really looks like. And from, from those perspectives and evil, even just from my perspectives over the years, I think having a youth pastor who understands that it's, there's always going to be something and it's, it needs to be part of the DNA. Like you said, it does not matter what it is, when it is, something's always going to happen until we kind of address this. So it's very cyclical in nature. Um, I remember my, my very first year in high school, I had been in high school for a month and a half, maybe before 9-11. Yeah. And the next day, the youth pastor at that time announced that he was leaving. So not only were we looking at a change in our entire, like everything we knew was turned upside down, but so was our youth ministry. Yeah. And so we had a, we had a year there of like, we went to Afghanistan and then we began preparing the, for the war to go to Iraq and they were building the case. And that was when you showed up on the scene <laughs> and that was, you know, we're getting to know you in a changing world, like constantly changing. Yeah. And it is not so much about having the right answers at the right time, but I think it's also being conscious of who is in your youth ministry. What are they going through? How do you connect with them? And I think when it comes to being empathetic, you can't, I don't know if there's a way to teach empathy. Obviously, you know, there are resources out there until you understand as a person yeah. have done your research on how, how did we get here? How did, and I, I say we as a country, how did we 
yeah. get here. You know, looking at interracial laws where we're looking at why we have predominantly white churches and predominantly black churches, why we have, um, you know, we talk a lot about uh, different types of laws and the way we interact with people, why, why we had a period of slavery. How did that come about? It didn't just start in America. It came from colonialism. It yeah. came from exploration. And if we are not versed as leaders in this, there's no way we can actually sit down with students and kind of help them understand. We yeah. say that, oh, this is the, the purview of the schools. The school should help them there. But no, the school teaches them facts and dates and locations and it's up to their, our community to actually weave it all together to make it make sense. It's a, yeah. it's a pattern of a pattern of intricacies that are, is not really that hard to understand. We just yeah. have to take the time. Right. And I, I know, I understand that people have a tendency to shy away from books and things that make them uncomfortable, but we must do some of that learning on our own. We're not, if you're not reading James Baldwin, if you're not reading Toni Morrison, these people provide the color and the background and the the fabric to why America is the way it is. And I know a lot of people said, oh, well, it's just a much bigger problem. I don't know where to start. You start where you are. You start with empowering, uh, empowering students to be able to identify those injustices and then to do something about them. And what does that look like? That's gonna look like, that's gonna be something different for every youth group depending on where you're located and what your, what your demographics are. And I think that we have to be honest about that. Well, exactly. And even if you're, even if you're, even if your youth group is 100% white, you should mm -hmm. still educate yourself. Exactly. It's, not like, it's not like you're educating yourself just to know the people of color in your youth ministry. You're mm -hmm. educating yourself for issues beyond your church walls mm -hmm. uh, that are happening there. And we're going to, uh, Danielle's, uh, we'll have a list of, um, uh, a list of books uh, down in the, uh, down in the uh, description box down there and in the show notes. So uh, for those that are listening, so if you want to start reading, uh, we're going to have those links for you to be able to get a hold of those books. Uh, because that's number one I hear is that youth pastors have to educate themselves. It's not the pastor's responsibility he or she needs to educate themselves, but the youth pastor mm -hmm. has to do it for himself or herself. Mm -hmm. They have to get reading. They have to do, they have to do the homework and the hard work of introspection of reading and saying, look, maybe there's some things that I believe that aren't really true, mm -hmm. <laughs> that things that they grew up with. Uh, and that's and uncomfortable. I completely understand. It's, it's disorienting to understand that yeah. something that you were taught may be wrong or something that you saw demonstrated by people that you admire was wrong. And it takes a little bit of grace, even with yourself, to understand that you have to be able to put your faith back together on yeah. your own. And that is what I think that youth ministry really should be, teaching students how to build their faith. Exactly. And, and, and being able to share, it, it can't just be, you know, what you're saying. It has to be, look, not just the facts of Christianity, mm -hmm. but how to develop one's faith in a world where injustice 
exists. It's part of the fallen nature of man. It is part of the curse. It's part of our rebellion and our disobedience. And when young people exit our youth ministry, I don't know how many of them uh, are, are, can effectively do that. I mean, I, something happens on their college campus and they just fall apart. Well, I think one of the things that has really happened over the different over the years, we build them up to say, "Oh, you need to go evangelize in your Bible Belt community, you know, share the gospel and empower them." And then they go to college, and then they learn that some of the things that they learned, those things aren't accurate, or they were taught without context, and all they learned were apologetics. Yeah, and in a way that is off-putting. In a way that, and I, I say that in the nicest way. Yes, you I can't you. argue someone into the kingdom. No, but you can lo- you can love them into the kingdom. That's right. If somebody can argue in, somebody can argue you out of it as well. And that's what we see a lot of times with faith in our in our younger people is it is that exact example of I was taught these things in youth ministry by people that I admire. And then I've got a professor telling me I was wrong and they've got the facts to back them up. So who is right and who is wrong? And it's like, we, we've got to be, we've got to be more intentional and about creating the DNA. Right. We're not, and I think it's also, and I think this is maybe just an aside, but also goes back to the history of the church. Sure. When it comes to the history of the church, we don't necessarily focus on where the church got it wrong. Because we see how we see where in the church pastors and clergy were the ones who were also forming the laws that separated us to begin with. The yep. ones who supported slavery and segregation, who wanted to uphold it. Yep. And if we're not teaching that part of, and I say, you know, I say teaching it, but if we're not acknowledging that part of the history and saying, hey, this is what we did as the church. We don't always get it right. That's right. We're not in an infallible institution. That's right. And here's the thing. We need, we need you guys. We need your voices here to, to, to be with us and to join us in this because you see what happens when you have like the strong, the strong preacher leader. He's yeah. also human. They're also susceptible to mistakes. Yes. And the thing is when you're leading and you have a core conviction that's shared among among you guys that is dedicated to doing justice, yep. you're more likely going to end up on the side of doing justice than doing injustice. Right. And you bring up very very good points as far as the apologetics. We teach kids to answer questions that somehow have this formula of answering questions, right? But if a teacher says something and it blows their mind and all that, the the you were you're talking really about we're talking about a whole person. It's not just a recitation of facts. It's not just the recitation of of how to answer and have this back and forth. And mm-hmm. the incidents that are happening on campus are not just uh, theological in nature. It's not just how do you approach an atheist or how you approach this. It's how do you approach when um, uh, when there's racism on your campus. It's not just, uh, that's, you know, that's a different kind of theology. That's not just apologetics. That's how do I respond on campus to what's going on to say, I need to be a part of the solution and not, you know, uh, that youth pastors can do a better job of preparing students, not just to answer apologetically, but answer culturally, answer 
uh, and step up in arenas that, um, that are going to come as part of growing up, as part of being on a campus, especially I think today, uh, where they're going to have to make those choices as to how they will respond to um, not just the apologetics part, but the culture part that says, listen, if my brother or sister in Christ is, is uh, in trouble here, I need to respond to that, not just with apologetics, but with heart and compassion and uh, conviction. And, and I think that's so, so critical for that. Um, when you think of in our culture today, you know, I, and I can't help but bring it up too, is that fact that George Floyd, talking about our brothers and sisters, George Floyd, I just read a story today where, he's ta- where he brought, uh, he, he, he was a godly man, and he brought a baptism pool to a basketball court to baptize people because they knew they weren't coming to church. So he would take that, he would take the, the baptismal and bring it out to the basketball court so he could baptize people. And I thought, man, that's a light. That's a light that's been snuffed out. We're saying, look, that, that, that the example that George Floyd led, not just as a black man, but as a believer in Jesus who lived out his faith, that we're, we're, it's not just about, as Christians, it can't, it, it's, it's much bigger than color. It's, it's, that's the point of contact is color. But the story is much bigger when it goes to heart and how people live their lives. I, I believe the term is the Imago Dei. That is correct. In the image of God. That's right. And that is every person that we see. Every right. person is created in the image of God. And there's something about valuing that beauty. And I think that when we have, we have these stories that are, that obviously are going to come out about him. And it's probably, and it's, it's, it's also part of the playbook after one of these tragic events that negative things start coming out, whether it's, or positive things. Like he was a good person. He, you know, he graduated from high school and college and he was working or he was a, um, a son, father, Right, brother right. like the these details keep coming out that really kind of inform the person yeah but when we're also taking this person and giving them over to an unjust system yep i hope that we can also see the parallels in our faith and if we cannot if, if we don't see the parallels in our faith what it, it has to it has to make us answer those questions of what happens when you give someone over to an unjust system. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Uh, and we have to be aware as youth workers. You know, I was said this when I posted the other day, and I once again, I, I asked you for advice about what I was going to post. Um, and I just wanted to be, I wanted to say it correctly, and I wanted to say it that this, if I, if this had happened, if, if something had happened to you or any other student, of color in any youth ministry I've led, I would be so outraged. I don't know what I would do, but, I, I, but, I, but I'd say this, that you know, if we're going to be outraged, uh, if we were going to be outraged when that happens, then we need to be outraged when it happens to anybody. Uh, that when people fall into those, into those unjust systems, um, that, uh, that are not going to treat them fairly. That are, not going, that are going to assume the worst than assume the best. Uh, and that's the thing. And, uh, and we got to do as youth workers, uh, we have to be able to do better. We have to prepare people, all people, 
uh, no matter what, to say, look, that the world we live in is, uh, has many injustices and that we have to respond to those uh, instinctively. It's not, it's just, that's what we do. When this happens, we do this. When that happens, we do that. That's just like, you know, pulling, like we talked about, pulling the fire alarm. There's a, there's a, a protocol for that. Um, that uh, when the alarm is pulled, we exit a certain way, we follow a certain line and something happens. And, uh, and so I would encourage you youth workers that you're watching or listening, what is your protocol? What is your youth ministry's protocol when injustice happens, both locally, statewide, nationwide? What's the protocol? What's your, what does your youth ministry do when that happens? And, I, and I, I can't encourage you enough to start to unfold that and unpack that of what that looks like within your ministry. Let me go on to a, another question here. And within these questions, we said we we're going to have other questions. You know, what if your, youth, what if your pastor disagrees? Because uh, I know there's a lot of youth pastors here who possibly serve in ministries where their pastor is not going to agree with a certain direction. Or, I mean, they're paid to be the youth worker, which technically they're paid to agree with, with the pastor uh, in agreement. Uh, you know, what, is, what does one do if you're a youth worker that serves in a church that does not address these issues, but you find, because it's generational, right? You have certain generations at the top, certain ge generations on the bottom, and they come in disagreement. I, I've faced that. I've dealt with that in my own world. And, uh, and so what is a youth worker to do in those cases, Daniel? What can a youth worker do or should do when there's disagreement in how the youth ministry moves forward or takes a stand or, or when those injustices happen? I believe that the first answer is obviously prayer. Yeah. You pray for your leaders. You pray for the direction that they're headed. But then you also have, a, have to have a, a theological framework that allows for the addressing of injustice. Yes. And it's, it's not uncommon that, you know, you're going to butt heads with someone when it comes to having a disagreement. Yeah. But it's not really about the disagreement. It's how you disagree. And it's about moving people towards God. Yeah. So how, how, what does that look like? Yeah. Uh, and I think, and that's, that's the question. What does that look like to disagree, honorably disagree? Yeah. And, and I want to go back to, so when I, one of my life verses is Micah 6, 8. Yeah. That is, it's, and it doesn't even matter what version it's in because it's just amazing. Yeah. Uh, and I want to just read the message here. Please do. Um, it says, but he has made it plain how to live, what to do, what God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love and don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. And if that is the framework, yeah. no matter what direction we're headed, we can bring more people along with us. But if it's very much, oh, you know, they were wrong or they should have just done what they were told or they, they shouldn't have struggled, that doesn't get us to where we have police officers on the street acting as judge, jury, and executioner. That's right. That's not their role. That's right. And it doesn't even matter anything else. That was the situation in which a lot of times we've seen people act regardless if there's a badge or not. And I know we're supposed to, you know, Romans 13, Romans 13 says, right. you know, respect your authorities. Yes. 
but yeah. your authorities can also be wrong. That's correct. And the authorities derive their power from the consent of the governed, at least right. in America anyway. That's correct. So, <laughs> that is um, correct. so with that, that is, that's how we engage our communities. It's, we can, you know, there are lawyers who are paid to litigate this and they will litigate this on multiple levels. Sure. But as the church, we are the ones who need to lead. We're the ones who have the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And if we, if we have the Holy Spirit and still can't lead, why would anyone want that? That's right. Because at the end of the day, it's, it's all about giving glory to God right. and our actions, who we're supporting, how we're bringing people along. Is that giving glory and honor to God? Right. Justice glorifies God. It does. Justice glorifies God. And injustice, you know, conversely, does not. And and, and, and I think that, sorry. No, uh, go ahead. And also the when, when we're dealing with obviously authorities, obviously, yes, we want to be respectful and we want to be in a way that is, you know, we support going in this direction and we want to be inclusive, but that can't also be to the detriment of people who are hurting and yeah. unseen, broken, marginalized, That's right. because those are the people that Jesus went after. That's right. And if we're followers of Jesus, that's who, those are the same people that we should be going after. That's right. My, my pastor uh, said this morning, and he said it several times, but I think he sums it up this way. It is the responsibility of the majority to welcome the minority. It's the responsibility, you know? And if we have a youth ministry, we have a responsibility to uh, those who are, like you said, marginalized, those who are on the outside. Uh, it's the, our responsibility of the majority to say, welcome in, welcome to the kingdom. And I think also with that, you can't put conditions on it. You That's can't right. say, you know, you need to talk like we do or dress like we do. You need to leave the skateboard at home or the video games at home. You need to like, you know, My you Lord. need to perform to us and then we'll accept you. No, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> well, <laughs> let me tell you something. I can't tell you how many times, Danielle, that I got in trouble. I, I mean, if I told you guys how many times I got in trouble for things, <laughs> you, you just know, you just know. <laughs> I got in trouble so many times for everything, for any kid that I would reach out to, any student that I would reach out to that did not fit the norms of what the culture of our church was. And, uh, and but I didn't care. I was like, you know what? I'm still going to love these kids. And uh, those, uh, those same skateboard kids, uh, I have conversations with them today as well. And, uh, and they're grateful and thankful that I stuck with them even during stupid times, uh, which is what they and want. Exactly. And that goes back to the Imago Dei. That's right. Every person is imprinted with the image of God. That's right. Either and if we believe that or we don't. That's right. And if you're going to say it, youth workers, pay attention to me. If we're not saying fight with your pastor, that's not what we're saying. We're not saying quit that, although that is maybe where that has to go sometimes and say, look, we can't agree. And this is wrong. And that's part of, you know, the system uh, that you're in that says, uh, I have to go based on my convictions. And I understand you have jobs. And I, I, we're not saying that. We're not saying quit. We're not saying argue with your pastor. But like Danielle said, if you're going to make it a, a conversation, make it a theological conversation about the Imago Dei. Make it a conversation about these people are human 
beings, the people that we are welcoming in, the people that are marginalized, the people that don't quite fit your system, the people that don't look like you, the people that don't act like you, they are Imago Dei. And that is the correct posture I think youth workers have to take if that discussion is going to happen. Let's just say this, any other, any other argument is hollow. And to really get to where you want to go, the conversation is going to have to be theological in nature. Uh, and you must have a conviction about that. And you must have uh, Micah 6-8 tattooed on your arm somewhere. Uh, and remember that that's what is, is happening. That's what it's about. That's what we're teaching our kids to go into the world with, right? And that's ultimately what we're, what we're trying to do as youth workers is get them in that six, Micah 6-8 mindset uh, and that's the response they have. That's, that's what they remember when they go on a college campus. That's what they remember, Micah 6-8, when some, something on the news happens. We say, Micah 6-8. What's my response to that? How do I ingest this? And then how do I get it back out of me to respond? Uh, being a, a, a Micah 6-8 generation, if you will, to say, look, we've, we've got to take this thing seriously. We've got to do this. Now, listen, I know we're, we're, you're, you've been kind enough to be with me this long, and you, and you that are watching and listening, you've hung with me this long. Hang out just a little bit more because I think we have. We're going we're gonna to land the plane here, if you will. But this discussion is just too important not to go a little bit longer to say, this is important, okay. youth workers. You have to do it. You have to be able to process this. Then the question is this. The last question I have is this. What can youth groups do externally and collectively to promote racial equality. How does a youth group then, once the youth pastor gets their act together, right? Once they've educated themselves, it, it, we're not, it, nothing worse than, a, than a, a, a knee-jerk reaction. There's nothing worse than a token response in that regard. Uh, it may make you feel better, but it doesn't do anything for the whole process, I don't think. You can correct me um, uh, no, if, if I'm wrong. Uh, but what is then a youth group to do? What can they do collectively um, to, uh, and externally to then say, look, we stand with the side of justice. This, we, are, we are standing with um, the people who are facing these injustices, and that's what we want to do. How can they do that um, creatively or, uh, you know, without... I don't know how to say it, but you, you go and say it. That's why I'm asking the question. I'm not going to answer the question. You answer the question. How can a youth group do this? So I think the question, the question is, how do, we, how do we make an example, an organic example, using yes. our youth group? Yes. And like you said, you don't want it to be forced. No. Nope. But it also has to be part of your DNA. And That's so right. once it's part of your DNA, I would look at to see, you know, obviously we talked about all white youth groups, which is yep. a thing, um, depending on the areas in which you live. That's right. Or it could be like you have maybe one or two students of color, or um, or you know, or you are super diverse. What does that look like, and what does that mean? That's right. So I think, regardless of any of those situations, one of the things that I continually I I like is a saying that I've heard hundreds of times by now is that a our church is not a church that stays within its four walls. Right, exactly. And so how, how are you engaging them in their local community? Not just in service projects, not just picking up trash or giving out water bottles yep. or cleaning up yards. What ways are they actually making connections with other people? 
we know teenagers are awkward and they're not going to do it on their own, but that's the point of being a leader is to show them how it's done. So that way when they're no longer in your youth group and they're on their college campus or they're in their workplace as a young adult, they know how to make a connection with another person. How do you start a conversation with someone who looks different or thinks differently or talks differently or is from a different place without you know, without necessarily stepping on toes, without being offensive. Yeah. And the thing is, that's where they need you to like lead as a youth leader to lead and model that. Like they they may not have that model at home with their parents. And so you might be the only adult model that they see in an organic environment where it's like, why are these kids out here in my yard? Or why are these kids bagging my groceries at the grocery store? Right. What What does that mean? What does that look like? And I think that you know, what does it mean to make a genuine connection? Are we ha- like having dinners? Um, That's with, a great idea. Like I think, like I've heard a lot of youth groups of like they're just setting up dinners of like, you know, you bring like potluck dinners of bringing things to different people's houses if they can do that, or even at the church of like, hey, just come if you want a meal. Like we're here. Like let's talk. Let's let's do something organic. Yeah. And like just talk and connect. Right. Do it in your local park, right? Don't do it at your church. Do it at your park. Go down to the park and just say, look, everybody's bringing food uh, and just put it out there on social or whatever you want to do. Say, hey, come get something to eat. We want to meet our neighbors, right? What, what you're saying is, look, you've got to know your community. And sadly, sadly, churches have built walls around their churches to keep out the, the wrong kind of people, the wrong kind of people, whoever those people are, right? Uh, and instead, they need to go down to the park and put out a meal out there and just say, look, we want to know our neighbors. Have a barbecue. Have a free barbecue, right? Just go down and cook a bunch of chickens up or, or pork butts or whatever and say, look, we're inviting the neighborhood. Come. Mm-hmm. We just want to meet you. You don't have to come to our church. There's not going to be a message. There's not going to be anything. It's, we just want to get to know our neighbors. Uh, and that's the fear. That diminishes the fear that people would have that says, Oh, well, they're so different than me. I don't, won't know how to connect with them. Well, listen, if you're a Mago Day, certainly, if there are people who are in the image of God, you share that. You, mm-hmm. you have that in common. That's and the common food. thing. And I it's, mean, food. it's food. It's food. People, everyone has to eat. Who doesn't like barbecue? If you don't, I, I can't help you. I can't help you if you don't like barbecue. <laughs> listen to me. The, but, the, but you say, right, it's exactly it. A meal around the table. What did Jesus do with his disciples? Had a meal around the table, had mm-hmm. conversations yeah. multiple times, not just Passover, but around tables. He, Jesus was invited to parties where he sat with other people, not like himself, right? Tax they were different uh, people who were, you know, I guess we we're going to say it whores. People who were, they <laughs> were, were friendly, friendly. friendly. Um, That's right. Yeah. Um, you know know, those were the people that jesus hung out with and they weren't popular nope but they were part of society that's exactly right and so you know if, if we can't you know if we can't create something in our society in our communities in our neighborhoods to bring people out of their houses like we have so many devices i can i'm looking at four of them right now in front of me yep and we've got to be able to connect with people and the right and we need they need they need to see that 
as teenagers, they need to see like, right. yes, it's possible to connect with people. You don't have to have a thousand followers or a million followers or whatever nope. to make an impact. Nope. Nope. And if for nothing else, you know, this is about your convictions. It's not about to change. It, it, hopefully you would think maybe I might change a few opinions, but really it's more about keeping yourself in the Micah 6-8 mindset. It's more about, listen, I know the world's going to try to change me. It's going to try to change my opinion of things through media, through whatever, whatever means possible, news shows, whatever whatever's being used, uh, the narrative will try to change the convictions I have, but us posting, us sharing, us uh, doing those things says, listen, I, I don't care what's going on around me. I'm, I'm going to be solid in this thing, in my conviction, regardless of what you're saying, I'm going to live that Micah six, eight life. Uh, and you can say what you want, but I'm going to pursue justice and you can go off and do your, you know, put a bunch of memes up and that's fine. And there's nothing wrong with that, but there needs to be times and there needs to be seasons and there needs to be reminders long after this episode is over mm-hmm. long after the fires have died down long after things are rebuilt long after trials, long after news reports, long after those things. And in between those things, that's when the church needs to step up. It, the church just can't go, Man, I'm glad that was over now. Now we can get back. No, no, no. That's not how that works. How that works is, is you then say, we're going to keep responding. We're going to keep opening our doors. We're going to keep, we're going to keep visiting our community because our community matters. Uh, and we're not going to be fearful. We're not going to be fearful. And that's probably the worst thing that the devil is doing right now is creating fear amongst mm-hmm. people to where things don't get worked out or conversations don't happen or whatever may be happening is that that fear uh, permeates, you know, the culture, uh, to where people are afraid to do things. And I think that's where the church steps up in the midst of that fear and says, we're not afraid. We're not afraid of a conversation. We're not afraid to reach out. We're not afraid. Even in these times, we're not afraid. Because it all starts with a conversation. That's it right. all starts there. I mean, we look at Jesus and the woman at the well, he yeah. just asked her, he asked her for some water. And then her and her village, she brought her entire village with her. Yeah. Like th- the impact of just one person reaching out made right. all the right. difference. That's right. And so I think it's also, you know, understanding the biblical context of the proper biblical context of what it means to reach out and invest in people who are not like, who are not like us yep. and how we use the stories in the Bible that actually, you know, the me- understanding the proper context and the That's message right. that it means for us today. And, and the fact that, listen, you may not get anything in return. It cannot be an exchange. It has to be a gift that your conversation, whether you, whether you're any, whether you can add a name to your, the role of your church or not, or in your computer system or in your database, regardless of that, go have the conversation. When you treat it as a gift that you share instead of an exchange of what I'm going to give you and what you're going to give back to me. Mm-hmm. I think that changes the dynamics of the conversation. It does. Well, I'm going to leave it to you. Uh, um, attorney Daniel Blevins, if you would like mm-hmm. any closing remarks, as they say, um, uh, that talk to youth workers, just talk directly to them and say, listen, youth workers, whatever you want to say to them, give them some encouragement, give them some, 
um, life give them because some of them are struggling and have struggled in the midst of all this. But whether you're, whether there's youth workers that are out in, in listening to this that are in rows of corn somewhere out in the Midwest somewhere. And then there are urban youth pastors who are in, uh, you know, cities like Minneapolis, right? Cities like Atlanta, cities that are out there that, you know, that they have to, they have to come up with this. So I, I want you to just take a moment and talk to these youth workers directly and uh, bring them, bring them something, bring them something good. I think even in my, my bedroom back at my parents' house, there is still a verse up on the wall and it says, it's from Proverbs 22, six, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. And really that is what you're doing. You have such a gift in these young people. They have the ability to change the world and one day they will, and it will be either for positive or negative. And that is up to you. You're going to be a major influence in their decision-making. I was telling Paul right before this, before we started recording, that there are still things that he has said, he was said to me when I was in youth group that I still carry with me to this day. And it's things about good decision-making, good relationship building. What does it mean to, you know, stoke a fire rather than putting it out? You know, there, there are those, there are so many different ways that as a youth worker, you have the ability to pour into teenagers' lives. Like they're, things are changing. Like they're realizing that college is only a few years away if they have the ability to go to college. With you've got crippling higher education debt and with no way as of right now how people are going to pay it off without a massive scholarship until so you've got financial woes. And you, then you've got people who are like, I, I may not get a, I only get a meal at school. And so you've got like so many different things happening. They're like, oh, I need to work in the family business to keep the family business alive. I don't have time for church or I don't have time for higher education. I only have to go out and get a job. We're still making decisions and they need a proper framework to say, oh, you know, I, I realize that stealing from my boss is wrong. And or stealing resources from my boss is wrong. Yep. You know, they need that framework and that guidance from you guys on how to treat people fairly. Just because they were given a raw deal doesn't mean that they can in turn give someone else a raw deal because we're called as Christians to be better than that. Christ has called us from the mire and the clay. And all I can say on, on that is, you know, I applaud you guys because dealing with teenagers is hard. We are, and I say we, I'm well out of my teens and twenties, <laughs> but I remember what it was like to be, you know, to have acne and to be unsure of whether or not this guy liked me or not, or how do I get my parents to let me stay out past 930? You know, those are the things that we're dealing with. And then on top of it, we see constant images of people who are black and brown being locked up in cages. We see kids being torn away from their parents, people, kids living in fear. Right. And how are you going to address that? And I think that those are the questions that we have to continually like wrestle with and learn and be educated about. Um, one of the, a friend of mine reached out and 
I was like, look, like these, these are some resources that I, I would give you. And she's like, yes, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm sorry you're having to do this. And my response to her was, look, we all have to do the work, but sometimes the curriculum is a little different. You're right. And that's, and that's where youth workers are at right now. They're going to have to figure out what they're going to talk about next. I mean, they're going to have to figure out the message. What is the message that you're going to present to your kids post? You can't ignore it. You shouldn't ignore it. Uh, and it may not be your whole message, but, but, but somewhere in your service, you need to have an address of this to say, look, whether that's just a time of prayer, uh, a time of intercession, a time to let kids stand up and talk and let mm -hmm. them share their heart. How does this make you feel? I mean, to me, that's the, that's the better way. And remember, youth workers, your kids are going to grow up to be bosses. They're going to grow up to be police officers. Mm -hmm. You know what? They're going to grow up to be attorneys as well. And when they do, you want them to be Micah 6-8 people. You want them to be people who are rooting for justice and actively pursuing it on behalf of others. Daniel Blevins, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Paul. You're the best. All right. If uh, you are uh, watching, please hit that subscribe button and uh, you'll get videos like this in your inbox on a regular basis. If you're listening, go on over to iTunes and go ahead and hit, the, uh, hit that uh, subscribe button as well as leave a review and some stars. I'd appreciate that very much. So that's it for today, guys. We'll catch you guys on another episode of the Youth Ministry Motion Podcast. <laughs>